Hello, my friends. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live, the podcast where we are exploring the digital revolution and the amazing and sometimes pretty disruptive impacts that it's having on our lives, our business lives, personal lives, and everywhere in between. We're delighted to have with us today one of our longstanding monthly digital all-stars, Christian Anschutz. Christian, good to see you, my friend. It's good to be here. Good to see you. Good to see you all. Uh, I, I didn't want you to think that, you know, I'm glossing over your illustrious background as CIO, CDO, entrepreneur, farmer, builder, uh, no longer active captain in the United States Marine Corps. But uh, Christian, you always bring from your, your background, your intellect, your perspective on things, some very, very interesting ways of looking at stuff. And it sounds like something caught your eye recently and uh, in the broad field of productivity. What's going on there? Well, I, I, I'm sure caught a lot of people's eyes. I mean, so we have what, five? I think it's five straight quarters in a row of however it's measured. I think that's a it's it's a question that I, I, I'm not equipped to answer. But at, 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 at the top level, the headline is five quarters in a row, worker productivity in the United States is declining. And by the way, this leads to more economic uh, uh, pressures. It re uh, uh, results in inflationary pressures, et cetera. But everybody be warned. It's, you know, the American worker productivity, it's falling off a cliff. I think this order, it was down 2.7%. Uh, and so overall, the headlines will say anything from, it's a steep decline to it's the fastest decline in uh, U.S. history. I, I can't opine on the the sort of the veracity of those claims, but it's very clear pro worker productivity is in jeopardy, or so we say as corporations. It's an interesting topic. Yeah, and Christian, like you you said a, a minute ago, I, I don't know exactly how those things are measured. Um, I, I hope that there's been some, you know, ongoing revisions of those productivity, you know, for assembly line workers is one thing and, you know, sort of heavy industry. There are certain ways you can do it. I, I'm not sure how somebody would go about measuring productivity today. So there is that. But uh, I know that there are some theories being thrown out by vested interests about, you know, what's behind all this, uh, you know, where people work or. Uh, how they work, you know, people trying to dig into that, but it it can't be, if those outcomes are true, it can't just be that simple. Uh, well, so you, you kind of got to it though, right out of the gate, just in the, it's, you're being very smart here and you know it. So, I mean, what, if, why are we saying, you know, worker productivity uh, is going down? Well, it's the topic du jour. And if there's anything that we know about our society is give us a headline and we will cling to it because it's got to be true. If it's on the internet, it's got to be real. And so now the question is this work from home, uh -huh. this work from home is doing it. And so now you, you, you have companies facing, you know, increasing economic pressure uh, as a result of a lot of different market conditions. That's another story altogether. Um, but there's a lot of pressures on the employers. And as they are facing these economic pressures, they're looking at the, the, the numbers and they're going, our workforce isn't as productive. Mm -hmm. And so what do you think they do? They're humans. You know, these CEOs, these, um, th these, these women and men are probably going, well, what's probably different now? And the first thing that comes up, 
I mean, it even came out of the words of Sam Altman. Well, this work from home is what's killing us. Ah. And uh, I find that interesting. I find that interesting. Before I say anything, you know, what do you think about that? Do you think working from home is is the is is the thing if there was such a thing as the thing is is that it yeah yeah um chris and i think that's one of the reasons why this is such a an elusive uh objective to try to define of productivity right i mean i have a, a good good friend who works uh in a nuclear power plant he said you know three years ago he said <laughs> We didn't have the option of working from home. Okay, get that. You know, there's certain places you, you have to be there, a hospital. But um I don't I don't know. I just hear so many other people saying, wow, I don't have to spend, you know, pick the number 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes every day getting to or from work. I can be a lot more productive, right? I can spread the work out during this time. And because I have a better work-life balance, um, I'm more engaged. I can be more productive. So I find myself increasingly skeptical skeptical about these sweeping statements, you know, worker productivity is down. I mean, the, the, when those measurements, those sort of studies were invented, they measured a very specific type of output. And I, I, I just, I do not have any confidence that they're valid today and you know a person you cited here sam altman from OpenAI, uh you know saying it's all due to work from home this is the guy too who remembered two years ago when microsoft made its first big investment in in uh, open ai he said uh the work we're doing here will i want to be sure i get this right he said we're going to change the arc of humanity and uh, so this is a guy with a you know fairly good sized ego about things, and I think a on a good sized ego and perhaps not a real good grip on how much of the world operates, uh, right? If he thinks he's going to you know alter the arc of humanity, uh, I'm not surprised that he also feels like well you can just say this whole thing it can be can be traced to people you know, working from home and not being in an office anymore. So uh, I don't mean to be rude towards Sam Altman. He's clearly a bright guy. He's created some extraordinary stuff. But uh, as far as him as being, you know, a, a philosopher, I, I'm not sure I'm going to buy into that one just yet. Well, that's an uh, interesting subject, especially since you brought up the word uh, philosophy. But we will get to that in a second. I, uh, you know, people like uh, uh, Sam Altman, I mean, the guy is a genius and he's no doubt has so many great qualities uh yet the 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 arrogance of humans to think that we're going to introduce something that's going to change if you're changing humanity you are claiming that you're changing humans and and yes. what we fail to realize again and again and again is how sort of base we are like we're we're malleable to an extent but the things that you know what what qualifies you know the topic here is usually leadership and i'm just using this as an example out of thousands of examples um just because someone writes a new book on leadership doesn't mean what inspires people to be their best is new it's yeah. age old it's never changed yeah. now how you deliver it maybe can be nuanced to get, given the uh, context the time the you know your environment whatever um 
but that hasn't changed. And and to claim that we are going to uh, roll out things that are going to change humanity, well, it could be true. Um, yet for that to happen, we have to think about um, uh, like what also would have to be true. I'll give you a, a, another example since we're talking about uh, tech. I love, love, love that, what was it? The CTO of Coinbase, the former CTO of Coinbase came out and said, um, and I'm wagering $2 million Two million M million dollars that um, uh, Bitcoin will get to a one million dollar price uh, within ninety days. Now we're half the way there, and it's struggling, you know, to stay anywhere near thirty thousand um, dollars. And the reason why that, like, the claim is so absurd. I mean, it's, it was patently absurd. Yeah. Now this is also a very smart person. So one of two things was happening. He's so smart that he's dense or he was trying to manipulate the market. Yeah. Not that anybody would do that, by the way. No, no, never. Not that anybody would try to manipulate the market because my point is for Bitcoin to get to a million dollars premium, what also would have to be true? Well, you would not have a dollar anymore. That's by the way, the premise, right? The de-dollarization. Uh -huh. But if you don't have a dollar and it's worth a million dollars, it's worth nothing. <laughs> right. So, I mean, it's it's uh, sure you could do it in other currencies and I'm glossing over this. So all the all the hate you're going to get in the comments about all the people that love crypto, they're like, oh, it is the future. It yeah. may be. It may be. But that was an absolutely inane bet. Like it was never going to happen. You're not going to go from what was it, 20,000 at the time to a million dollars in 90 days just because you think you're seeing uh, so much economic turmoil that people will divest of one type of asset and go into another one. Uh -huh. Two other things would have to be true. And the thing, same thing is, is true for Altman. So the point of it is we simplify. Yeah. We simplify again and again and again. So let's go back to worker productivity. Um, nobody wants to hear what I'm about to say because this stuff isn't hard, but it's hard work. Yeah. And nobody wants to do the hard work, which is evidenced, of course, by the productivity issue, right? Nobody wants to do the hard work, except for the problem is, you know, who doesn't want to do the hard work? The corporations, most senior leaders, they don't want to do the hard work because you know why productivity is going down? It has nothing to do with work from home. Of that less than one third of our workforce that even has the luxury to work from home. It's not 100% of our population, right. folks. We make it sound like it is. It's not. It's less than a third of our population can even work from home. And that third must be dragging down the other two thirds, right? Right? Okay. Uh, except for no, because this productivity issue spans all sorts of segments, many of which don't have that luxury of work from home. No, the issue, folks, is really simple. Executive leaders, pay attention. You don't want to hear it, but it's true. The issue is it's a lack of engagement. There is a the Gallup is the group that said, hey, record five quarters in a row of decline. And then Gallup is the same one that says, here's what drives productivity, drives productivity. Yeah. And the number one thing that drives productivity is engagement. Uh -huh. But why do we not have engagement? Now, think about this. Why do we not have engagement? Well, why don't we just back up a bit and say what? What drives good engagement? Well, if you were to look at some of the studies out there, some of the studies would say, maybe there's three, four things, you know, that really drive engagement. One is a top down dedicated effort 
to grow and develop your workforce. Mm-hmm. Hmm, that's interesting. So you, you're growing and developing. That's not paying them a paycheck. That's not what growing and developing. Everybody that thinks you're doing that, this means developing you are investing in. You're investing time, you're investing money. But I can't do that. They're already not productive enough. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you, see where, you see why we get confused so easily. Uh-huh. So one of the factors is invest and develop your people. Oh, here's another one. This is really weird. Um, teach your managers and leaders to manage and lead. Uh-huh. <laughs> what now, a concept. Yeah, what a concept. I mean, if you know, in the consulting I do, I can't tell you how many C-level executives, big companies, CEOs of these companies will say, you know, the biggest thing I cannot figure out. It's like what Benioff just said about his workforce in that Slack message he sent out to everybody. He's like, I, worker productivity is down. I can't understand. Um, there's there, these These leaders are saying, we're clear on what we need to do. We're clear on our strategy and how to get it done. Our governance mechanisms are good, so we're focusing the resources in the right place. But I can't get my my executive leadership staff or my line leaders and their managers to get off the diamond to move. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you don't have the right people, which leads to the third thing that makes uh, drives engagement. It's holding your leaders and managers accountable. Hmm. Huh. Why does it seem like every time there's a layoff, <laughs> I, uh, what, what are they going to start laying off board members and management teams? Yeah, uh, that would be a really good start, by the way. Get yeah. get rid of your management team, right? That, that that's a real honestly, that's a really good place to start. Get rid of half your management team before you start hitting the rank and file, because that's holding your leaders accountable. And then you would have a great story to tell if you did that. If you started at your leadership saying we're not being productive enough, we are taking this as a challenge to our leadership model. We're not. We're failing you, our, our employees and colleagues, and we're failing our market. And so we're starting where we know that failure originated, the root cause of it. Let's go there. And then you'd have a good story to tell, which then leads to the fourth item that drives engagement better than anything is good, radically transparent communications. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bob, I, I know I'm on a, a bit on a soapbox here. It, this stuff isn't hard. It's just hard work. And because we're already, it's pressure after pressure, we're all suffering from short-termitis. And short-termitis is I got to get this thing done. I got to get it done tomorrow. I got to get it done the next day. I don't have enough time to let any of my people lift their head up, to do anything else, to include investing in them, giving them room to grow, giving them space to progress themselves as humans and as colleagues within that workforce. And then we're like, why are they failing us? Yeah, yeah. Chris and I, I, I always enjoy, you know, when you go on these sort of emotional but tangents, thoughtful comments, because I, you know, you don't have to do this. This is uh, something you do based on your experiences, your, your, as you mentioned, the consultation with CEOs, right, and. Uh, it comes back with you over and over again that there seems to be a yawning gap between over here. This is what leadership and executive and a lot of businesses say should be done. And then over here, uh, their willingness to hold themselves to those same sort of standards, like everybody else needs to do this. 
maybe not me. Everybody else needs to get back the others, not me. Everybody else needs to change how they do this or that, not me. And Christian, you know, uh, I I had a, I, I don't mean the technology is the answer, but you talked about radically transparent, open communication. And it's hard sometimes for people to have this level of communication if not everybody is seeing sort of the same picture, right? You know, if too often all I can see is, you know, my own little world that I'm trapped in here day after day, week after week. Uh, a very interesting discussion today with the technology company. They're trying to develop these dashboards that will show everything from like the CEO view down to this level, to this level, to this level. So wherever you are, you can see what you need to do every day, but you can also see up and down and sideways across the organization. I just thought it was a fascinating starting point, right? And it's a, conceptually, I think that's the way to go because you get everybody trapped in their own little siloed, fragmented worlds. They don't see the larger thing of what's going on. So they're just told by this tiny number of people up at the top who supposedly have this God's eye view of what's happening, but they're unwilling to share that with others because, well, you know, this is this is for the uh, ELT and above only. Okay, I think that's, you know, I, I think that gets to some of what you're talking about here. But uh, that willingness to blame others and the willingness at the same time not to take into account what I at a you know high level in a company, what I am doing or not doing, and just it's I'm always willing to blame, but never point that back at myself. Uh, that's a corrosive thing, but it's also a fantastic opportunity for companies with an enlightened perspective and leadership style and culture to step in and start to blow away some of these you know, old fuddy-duddies that are just incapable of uh, of performing and competing and motivating and engaging people uh, in today's modern world. So uh, I, I think that I, I try to remain optimistic in the light of this, what the opportunities could be, but I think there has to be some, uh, you know, some creative destruction that happens first. Some companies have to, they have to feel the pain that makes it inevitable that they do things in a very different way. Yeah, you know, I you, when we get in these conversations and you, we kind of pull the string and then I get, you know, I, I have this soapbox right here. I just pull it right over and I jump on it without hesitation. It's great. I just want to make it seem like I think that like the, these executive leaders and management teams are all bad. I don't think that. I think what we have done is we've lost sight of some of some fundamental universal truths. And I, I think our, our vision of the way things should be is obscured by largely fantasy. Mm -hmm. You know, the, this endless fantasy of grow, 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 more productive, more productivity, more productivity. Is, is, is that just, are we going to grow in perpetuity? Are we, is our productivity going to grow in perpetuity? Are there limits to it? Are there limits to what the human workforce could? And maybe, and it's, 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 I'll use the word. It's not necessarily a great word. Now there are limits that we should observe, mm -hmm. and uh, you know nothing. I'm I'm kind of uh, jumping, um, uh, crossing streams here. Uh, there's some fascinating study out there, folks. If you haven't seen this, everybody should check this out. Um, they they did a study, and uh, here's the short story. Uh, they uh, basically monitored. Uh, the interactions between patients, online interactions between patients and doctors. And at some point they uh, had uh, introduced um, uh, AI systems, GPT, 
to respond to the patients. And then they universally queried the, 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 the patients and they said, okay, how did you feel about the interaction, the quality, the, you know, the bedside manner, you know, et cetera. And in a, in a very, very strong fashion, they came back and the patient said that the autonomous systems had higher empathy and a better bedside manner than the human doctors. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not blaming wow. doctors. Could it possibly be that the very system that requires a doctor to spend no more than 31 and a half seconds interacting with a patient, could it possibly be that the, 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 the caseload that we put on our physicians could it possibly be this, you know, all these pressures that sub-optimize the very thing that makes us more human than anything we should be able to create in terms of technology? So that so much so that we've sub-optimized it, that AI is more human now than we are? Yeah. Is that more empathetic? That's what I mean when I say more human. Folks, we got to take a step back. <laughs> I, I, I think we have to take a step back and ask ourselves, what do we need to do to create the environments that make people the most productive. Mm -hmm. And it isn't always about technology. I love dashboards too. And I love the idea that everybody can have an equal line of sight, that radical transparency, equal line of sight into where my organization is doing, excuse me, doing well, and maybe where it's falling short. But as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, assigning blame, especially blame at the lower rank, you know, how does everybody come together to, you know, counter those deficiencies, address them, uh, however they should be addressed and find that way forward. And uh, I think that there is a there is room for us to just put a little bit more humanity into our workforce. And then maybe, just maybe, we would be shocked at the fact that we would reverse this productivity trend. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing I'll say, I, you know, there's there's quite a bit of writing about this. I haven't seen any research that substantiates it, but intuitively, and I and I trust my gut feelings in so many things, not all things, but in so many things. I think COVID uh, and that that you know our reaction to it really created this wedge between like the quality of the work and the sort of the the reward uh, mechanisms associated with that work. So now it seems very generic. Right. Because we no longer know anybody like, you know, you, you're distributed or you could be in the same room. I mean, let's be honest, folks, you 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 work in Cube Central and in your office, you sit within 20 feet of people you don't know. Right. Here, you never talk to them. And in that same period of time, you know, there are people that show up that don't do anything. They'll skate in the office. They'll skate at home. They're still going to skate. What fixes that, what addresses that is getting to know people, understanding their, their 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 capabilities, applying them in a way that's best suited for those capabilities and interests. And for those that don't meet that particular need, you help them find that next opportunity elsewhere. And that is a function of management and, and to no small extent uh, in leadership. And you, folks, you better start double down, going double down on those two uh, skills because they're you need to have both. Uh, or you're going to two more quarters down the road go, why we're our productivity still plummeting. And we started to, we made a mandate. Everybody's coming into the office and it's still not going up. What are we doing wrong? We just covered what you're doing wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Christian, you know, I think in the same way at the beginning, we both questioned a little bit about, you know, what is this, uh, 
you know, standard definition of productivity that some of these studies are attempting to measure. I think a corollary of that now about leadership, and this is something you and I have talked about a, a number of times, is um, culture in an organization has always been important. I, I would say today it's more important than ever, but is that something that leaders should feel responsible for helping to develop or creating an environment in which that sort of culture can be developed or in the absence of the development of that culture is it because no this is a, this is a place where the leadership's taken us in you know not the right directions and we're going to have a crappy culture because that's the environment that's being you know fostered around us uh, i i you know if it, well the job of leadership is to you know return on investment and shareholder equity blah 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 yeah i get all that and those things are important but i think what you're bringing up here is it's it's that plus a lot more we live in a world that's like it has been in the past in a lot of ways, but it's different in a lot of ways. And the disruptions and changes are coming faster and with more intensity than ever before. That requires a different outlook, a different uh, way of thinking, a different sense of what leadership is and what the priorities of leaders should be. And I think you've done a real good job here of, of uh, raising what some of those uh, issues are what leaders and organizations have to do to, you know, address those and turn them into assets instead of liabilities. Well, I mean, uh, you know, as I, I think we're probably moving to a wrap here, uh, you know, for the, the listeners um, consideration, if, if your organization doesn't have a culture as part of their strategy, then their strategy is incomplete. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and then I'll even take it a step further uh, I fundamentally believe I, I, there's plenty of research to support it, that empathy is a source of intransient competitive advantage, mm -hmm. but you have to develop it. You even have to know, like you have to know how to have it. You have to know how to apply it and you have to know how to delight your markets because you're, you know, you know, you're walking a mile in their shoes and the hardest thing is taking off your own shoes, yeah. which is what we all have to do as leaders as we're going, what is hurting our productivity? Take your shoes off. It's hard. It's really, really hard and put on the shoes of your workforce and do it with honesty and sincerity and, and an open heart so that you can, you know, reflect as to what might make them less productive than they were. You might find the answers. They might be tough, but if you find them and you address them, you can do amazing things for your colleagues. You can do amazing things for your markets, your customer segments, and then Bob, that takes us full circle. That helps the top line, the bottom line, and delights shareholders and stakeholders alike. Absolutely. Well, Christian, I think you've just sort of flagged uh, our discussion for next time, this empathy and, you know, truly understanding what it's like to, you know, walk in someone else's shoes and understand that and go back and be a little bit in more better informed and uh, in touch with what the organization is doing, with what customers want and need. So, Kristen, as always, thank you. This is uh, this has been thought provoking and challenging, and you uh, always make us, I think, get past uh, you know the the easy reach out to simple explanations, simple answers, or e overly easy ones. They are simple, I think, as you've said, but doing them is hard, and it's worth the hard work to put into it, my friend. So, thanks for uh, as always, Kristen, some good thoughts here and giving us. Uh, lots of things to to mull around. My pleasure. Good seeing you.
All right, Christian. Thank you, folks. Thanks to you for being with us. Christian Anschutz uh, has been our guest today. And as always, he's raising some interesting questions about companies, people, culture, and our outlook. We'll see you next time. Nicely done, sir. That's in a, a you know tricky subject there, but I think you hit a very good balance on it, forcefully when appropriate, but also you know you're not trying to go out and just sort of blast away at people, uh, leaders of companies, but some of them deserve it. We all get, you know, we're born with blind spots, but we also develop them over time. And and uh, you know when you when you have someone as clearly as gifted as a Benioff. Who you know goes out on Slack and says, you know, I, I just can't understand it. it yeah. Doing that after the moves and maneuvers they've had to make recently, you just kind of wonder. Yeah, yeah, and you know he's he's done extraordinary things for a quarter century, but um, amazing. He's so so amazing. Yeah. And I just wonder what happens to some people sometimes, right? Because those comments he made about, you know, it's the, it's all you people who aren't productive enough because you're not coming into the office. He did that right after, you know, he's had a few co-CEOs. He had the, the one guy was in the office barely more than a year and then he left. And uh, so uh, <laughs> I think before he goes in. Brad too, by the way. What's so actually? I had met Brad, his co his most recent co CEO that walked on him. Um, you know, this guy's uh, <laughs> you know uh, uh, claim to fame. I think he was the one that invented the like on Facebook kind of thing. Uh, that might actually be it. I can't remember. It was something like that. It was so something so ubiquitous now, uh, and you could tell. Like, it, you know, you you could size people up, and you know, the reason why we, the Peter principle exists is because we have people that are so amazingly smart and so gifted in so many ways that that must mean that we must progress them. Yeah. And in our world, progression means more and more responsibility over more and more people. But what got them there wasn't necessarily their ability to be great people leaders. They were great thought leaders. And when we cross yeah. those lines, we invariably end up with Peter Principle realized. And I think that might be what happened there. I'm not sure. I, I, I You and I are just speculating. I know it's nope. still recording, by the way, but it's... Um... No, nope. recording's over. Oh, it is? Oh, so yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, but it it's... We have to be way more circumspect. And uh, if, if you... When you're talking to a company... Um, you know, and you're doing whatever it is you're doing with like Cloud War 